the studio with Michael Carr. Coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to our program this week. And Michael, it is Thanksgiving weekend. You realize that, don't you? Happy Thanksgiving, Wayne, to you and your family as well. We'll talk a little bit later about the fact that you're on the road actually this weekend, so we need to pray for you and your family. We're going to bring Ron Davis to the studio later. Yeah, Ron is our uh, sound man and and road manager, and it's going to be interesting to hear his side of what it's like to be on the road. The road perspective here in the studio today. Also, looking back to last week, what a wonderful time. Our first time really to record this program on the road Mm -hmm. at Cedarville University. University, and we enjoyed that broadcast last week. You're, uh, uh, it was your alma mater, That's and you right. were there for homecoming. It was a pretty exciting yeah, weekend. Everything kind of came together there, and it was a mm-hmm. lot of fun for our listeners to get to listen mm-hmm. to that last week. Actually, a little bit of a treat this week, because we're going to return to Cedarville. Now, in addition to the program that we heard last week, you did uh, more music. You did a concert there. We're going to hear some of that music later on on today's right. program. So that's that's all coming up here in the studio with Michael Card. Today we're going to open the Word and talk about Thanksgiving time here in just a moment with Michael. But, of course, we want to hear you sing right now. And you are so talented. Michael, you've, you've got uh, so many instruments you play. I don't know if you've—I haven't counted. How many things, different things do you play? Well, but the point is I don't play any of them well. <laughs> I play a little bit on a lot of things, which a songwriter has to do. Well, that's debatable. Well, that's you have, debatable. You have to have as many colors on your palette as you can. <laughs> that's where the instruments come in. The reason I bring that up is you are playing, as you sing here in just a moment, you're going to be playing the harpsichord. Mm-hmm. Now, there's an old instrument. And this is a real harpsichord. This is an electronic one. So, All right. Uh, and we also have John Ketchings here in the studio with that cello of yeah. his. So the two of you are going to combine now for this song. Let's get started. Let all things now living. Here's Michael Card. Let all things now living a song of thanksgiving to God the Creator triumphantly raised. Who fashioned and made us, protected and stayed us, who guided us unto the end of our days. His banners are o'er us, His light goes before us, a pillar of fire shining forth through the night, till shadows have vanished and darkness is banished as forward we travel. From light unto light His law he enforces The stars in their courses The sun in his orbit Obediently shines The hills and the mountains The rivers and fountains The depths of the ocean proclaim him divine. We too should be voicing our love and rejoicing with glad adoration, a song let us raise till all things now living unite in thanksgiving to God in the highest hosanna and praise. Our thanks to both Michael and to John Ketchings for that wonderful song here in the studio today. You know, we took a little lunch break, and I drove down the road here from your studio, Michael, Mm -hmm. to Leaper's Fork. Yeah. Little Baptist church there. The sign out front said, Thanksgiving is the language of heaven. I kind of like that. Oh, that's good. That was good. Yeah. Uh, Paul talks about uh, uh, developing this spirit of uh, gratitude in, in our lives. And uh, that's, that's something I meditate on a lot, something I struggle with, not grateful enough for all the blessings that God's given me. Well, let's open the Word here today. Uh, a little bit of background first, though, on what we're going to do. Yeah, we're going to be looking at John 7. And some, some of you might be thinking, well, what has that got to do with Thanksgiving? But what, <laughs> what you need to know is the feast that Jesus is in Jerusalem celebrating, the Feast of Tabernacles, was later Americanized Hmm. into Thanksgiving. That's where Thanksgiving really came from. Uh, Originally, uh, Sukkoth or Tabernacles or Booths, it's known by different names. Uh, It was a feast of uh, joy uh, before the Lord 
who blesses crops. It was uh, celebrated at the end of September, and uh, it comes from Deuteronomy 16:15. Uh, so just interesting to know that uh, we we have uh, this Jewish background to this American holiday. It goes back much further than we thought. Huh? It really does. And, and and in Judaism, it looks it looks back and it looks forward. It looks back historically to the time uh, when the Jews were in the wilderness and they lived in booths. Mm-hmm. Or su- that's Tents. what Sukkoth means. Yeah. yeah, tabernacles, booths. Mm-hmm. It's tra- translated all different ways, and it looked ahead towards God's redemption. And the same thing's true for us because. Because in Revelation, uh, the second coming is often referred to as as a harvest, as an end gathering. So today, as you gather around your uh, Thanksgiving dinner and you celebrate the God who blesses uh, the harvest and who gives us uh, such bounty, uh, realize that that's just a shadow. That's mm. just an image of the God who is someday going to harvest us. Mm. And uh, that gives Thanksgiving a whole new meaning. Well, you mentioned John chapter 7. Shall we turn there now? Yeah, and and why don't you read it, Wayne? All right, beginning at verse 37. Mm -hmm. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, If you are thirsty, come to me. If you believe in me, come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. And by the way, this is the New Living Translation mm-hmm. for those who are saying, that sounds just a little different than what I'm accustomed to hearing. It's a great translation. Verse 40, when the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, this man surely is the prophet. Others said he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided in their opinion about him, and some wanted him arrested, but no one touched him. The temple guards who had been sent to arrest him returned to the leading priests and Pharisees. Why didn't you bring him in, they demanded. We have never heard anyone talk like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? These ignorant crowds do, but what do they know about it? A curse on them anyway. Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, then spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Hmm. That's a wonderful passage that shows a confused crowd. Everyone is confused in this crowd. Uh, you read the passage where the crowd clearly says, oh, we know that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem, mm-hmm. except they don't know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Earlier in the same chapter, in verse 27, the crowd says, oh, when the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he's from. So the crowd is all confused. And and the Pharisees are confused. Uh, they're saying things like, uh, has, has any of us believed in him? Well, as a matter of fact, John has let us know that at least two Pharisees mm-hmm. have believed in him. The chapter even closes with a misconception. They'll say, look look into it, and you'll find that a prophet doesn't uh, come from Galilee. And now, we, what was it about Galilee that they looked down upon? Well, so Galilee was sort of this fringe, uh, half-Jewish, uh, half-Gentile province. There were eight other deities that were worshipped in Galilee besides uh, Yahweh. And Didn't so, they consider it kind of a backwater Oh, absolutely. Place? I mean, the, the, a Galilean, you know, are you from Galilee too, is is a, a sort of a bad thing to say to somebody. But the, the truth of the matter is there was a prophet from Galilee, Jonah. Hmm. So it's a thoroughly confused (laughs) crowd that's mixed around uh, Jesus. We have the soldiers who were sent to arrest him, and they defy a direct order from the high priest, which is unheard of. Mm-hmm. But they they stand there, these big guys in their you know armor, and all they can say is, yeah, "We've never heard anyone like, talk like this." Nobody's man ever spoken <laughs> like this man. So it, it's a it's a it's a dramatic, it's a dynamic uh, chapter. And this Wayne is the chapter that really turned me on uh, to studying the Bible. Hmm. What was it that that? came alive so much for you? It was the backgrounds. Uh, I can remember to this day uh, sitting in a class. It was fall. It, the, the, the air had, had, had begun uh, to get cool. The leaves had changed. We're sitting up there on the third floor of Cherry Hall with William Lane talking about this chapter. And we, we started looking at verse 37 when it says, on the last and greatest day of the feast. And Bill stopped right there and said, does anybody know what that means? And of course, 
None of us knew what that meant. The point is, John's readers all knew what happened on the Mm. last and greatest day of the feast, but we don't. And so we have to dig a little bit to find out. When you found the details, then it just came to life for you, didn't it? Oh, yeah, it just came to life. And so what happens on the last and greatest day of the feast? What happens is a large crowd gathers in front of the temple. They process down to the pool of Siloam, and they're singing psalms. They're dancing, and they're singing psalms like... Uh, 11825, oh, work thou then salvation. You know, they're, hmm. they're commemorating the work of God. They go to the pool of Siloam, and there the high priest takes a golden pitcher. He scoops up water, and they process back to the front porch of the temple. And again, they're praising God, and they're singing psalms, and they're celebrating uh, God striking the rock and providing water in the wilderness, okay? Because uh, the Feast of Tabernacles looks back historically to the time when the people lived uh, in booths. But you don't get any of that just from reading this isolated no, text. No, no, you, you have to know what happens on the last and greatest day of the feast, okay? It's called the day of the great hallelujah. I mean, it is, it's the party happens on the last and greatest day of the feast. In a sense, this is kind of the lost meaning because as you said right. earlier, John's readers would have known all of this. Absolutely. So this was part of who they were and part of their history. Absolutely. So. But you and I have to recover this. Okay. And that's, that's great Bible study. Absolutely. And, and here we go. Here's, here's, what, here's what turned me on to studying the scripture, you know, for the rest of my life. On the last and greatest day of the feast, this crowd processes back up to the front porch of the temple. The high priest is holding a pitcher of water that he scooped up from the pool of Siloam in front of the whole crowd. He quotes, and this, again, this is a crowd that's been singing and dancing and celebrating. He pours out this pitcher of water and and he quotes Isaiah 12, verse 3, hmm. which says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now picture that, Wayne. Oh. A large, sweaty, celebrative crowd. Okay? <laughs> they've, they've gone to the pool of Siloam. They've come back up the hill. They're on the temple mound. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And from the back of the crowd you hear a voice that says, A loud voice, it says, Jesus If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. So that's what's going on. And it's it's so much more dramatic uh, when you understand what happens on the last and greatest day of the feast. Hmm. You know, you mentioned one of those little details. We talk often about the details of Scripture, Mm -hmm. but that Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. I don't know. Do we right. have any other reference of Jesus raising his voice like yeah, that? Yeah, we, we have other instances of him shouting above a crowd. Yeah, so that's not unique. But what, what you need to know is that there's a, there's a purpose. You, you don't realize there's a crowd there until you realize that he's standing in the crowd shouting, hmm. you know, back to the high priest, as it were. Hmm. And so you hear the sort of the voice of the Old Testament, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then Jesus' voice, if a man is thirsty, let him come to me. Yeah, if you believe in me, come and drink, for the scriptures declare. And he's saying to them, if you knew the scriptures, if you really knew the scriptures, right. the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow out from within. Well, that yeah. is, that's fascinating. Yeah. And so this Thanksgiving, as we're gathered around the table enjoying this uh, feast that uh, that God has given us, of course, Americans feast every day, but, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's, uh, another program that's, another, <laughs> that's another program. <laughs> but I mean, a, as you enjoy this bounty that God has given us, uh, just remember uh, the real thirst, the real hunger that you have it can only be fed with the one who provides the living water and with the one who is himself the bread from heaven. That's mm. that's the feast that mm. we're all celebrating today. It's interesting to me that Jesus stands up and asserts his true messiahship in mm-hmm. a sense. I mean, he really asserts himself here. Yeah. And the crowd is led to just, you know, they're schizophrenic. Really. They don't know what to think about this guy. And, and look at what uh, trouble it stirs up for Jesus. We've already read in the first of this chapter that there are men who have already vowed to take his life. Mm. From this time on, the Pharisees are intent uh, in doing something about yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And then we have this reference to Nicodemus. The scriptures say that he had met with Jesus earlier. We know that, of course. Uh, He stands up and defends Jesus to the crowd. Well, and Nicodemus uh, and Jesus had earlier spoken about the Spirit. That was the the content of their whole discussion there late at night. And Jesus has just once again promised uh, this living water, which is the Spirit. Mm Well, this is great Bible study because it's it's come alive for us here today mm-hmm. to have you open the scriptures with us, Michael. So thank you. Thank you. Um, while we move on here with the program today, uh, we mentioned that last week we were at Cedarville University. A song that you sang that day, a song that uh, just uh, touches audiences every time you sing it, Michael, is called The Basin 
and the towel. Let's mm. go back and listen to that. In an upstairs room, a parable is just about to come alive. And while they bicker about who's best, with a painful glance, he'll silently rise. Their savior servant must show them how, by the will of the water and the tenderness of the town and the call is to community the impoverished power that sets the soul free in humility to take the vow that day after day we must take up the basin and the towel Never tire of hearing that. Uh, the Basin and the Towel, Michael Card, recorded at Cedarville University live. And, uh, Michael, I don't get to travel with you very often, but I happen to be there. Yeah, we had a good time that weekend, particular didn't we? event, so I got a little taste of road life with yes. Michael Card, which is actually what we're going to talk about in this segment of the program right. today. We have, you know, when you introduce somebody, it's always the most something. You know, <laughs> this is the most, the, 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 the greatest Bible scholar, the greatest singer, the greatest guitar player. Well, this person is the most reluctant guest we've ever had on this show. But I have a verse that I want to read that uh, describes very well uh, who our next guest is. This is uh, Jesus uh, in Matthew 20. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. Hmm. I can't think of a better uh, introduction for a a friend and a brother. We've been on the road together about 15 years. Um, And if you've come to concerts, uh, you've seen him back at the console or at the record table or fixing the bus or driving the bus or whatever. Our attention is usually focused on the platform and on you, Michael. If people will just turn around 180 degrees, they'll see... Ron. They'll see Ron Davis, the person that keeps the whole thing afloat. So welcome, Ron. It's good to be here. Yeah. Uh, you guys have literally just come off the road as we sit and, and record our conversation here today. Yeah. You have that uh, bleary-eyed uh, road look about yeah. you, Ron. Is that uh, was it a good trip this time? Um, it was a very good trip. We had with the friends' dates. We had Phil Keggy and Sarah Groves with us. Um, the whole band was back out, so a lot more activity on the bus than's been there. And the bus broke down twice, <laughs> and Ron fixed it. How so? <laughs> what what I'm I'm the mechanic in me wants to know what broke down and how'd you well, fix the, it? The alternator went out on the main engine, so we were losing um, 
power that was going to stop on us because everything was electronic at that point. Um, we took a couple of 12-volt chargers because it's a 24-volt system and um, tied them in to keep it running and used the generator to run the chargers. <laughs> we kept going. And then the generator broke down. Oh, my goodness. And he had to bypass some system that kept cutting the generator off to get us home. <laughs> you know, I think we've got some backyard mechanics who are listening right now who know exactly what you went yeah. through to keep it on the road. And, that, and you've got to make to that next concert. I mean, you can't afford to be sitting along the side of the road somewhere. Right. And and then drove through a hailstorm, the worst <laughs> hailstorm I think I've ever seen. Okay, so was that a typical road trip? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, usually it's harder. But, Ron, you're not the mechanic and bus driver, although you do those things. Uh, Ron's business is audio, Michael. Well, largely Ron's business is audio. He also does uh, takes care of all the merchandise and the record tables and the road managing and stuff. That That's why, I mean, it's, it's hard to introduce him properly to get, let people know the giftedness that's wrapped up into this person and beyond the gift because a person in their gift the heart the servant mm-hmm. heart mm-hmm. so i i just wanted people to get a chance to meet you and and i want to bring this part out too and i know that ron i don't want to embarrass you but i mean michael here's a guy who owns his own company yes uh ron you told me recently 25 employees in that company and yet you you that company you run that uh on the go because you travel with michael a lot why don't you just stay home and take care of the of the company and call that a career. I really feel a calling, I mean, to be out with Mike because, I, I mean, I could be home more and be home with my family and everything else. Um, it's just I feel like God wants me to be part of what he's doing and the hmm. ministry he has going. Hmm. What are some of the things that led you to that decision? I mean, what, what, what happens on the road that it wouldn't happen, lessons learned wouldn't uh, be learned any other way? When I started with Mike, um, it was about it was exciting being on the road, you know, traveling on a bus and doing that kind of stuff. Um, but as time went on, it was less about excitement. It's more of a job and a chore in that sense. Mm-hmm. But the people you meet, um, the team you work with, how that team has come from being just a bunch of people that are together and being paid to do a job to become more of a family. We're accountable to each other. Um, the people you meet on the road. They see, you see some of the same people every couple of years and, if, and, and just the people you can impact. I know talking to some technicians and sound guys sometimes at churches and stuff like that, just being able to share with them and make them feel like they're important because sometimes they get, they're behind the scenes and they don't get thank yous and they don't get appreciated. And, and that really is one of Ron's specialties because I think a notorious sort of character is the church sound man who, you know, gets glared at when the microphones feed back. And it's really not his job. He does it, you know, he has another another job and does it on the weekend. And a lot of those guys are pretty worn out and pretty defensive. And Ron loves up on them and gets mm-hmm. their sound system sounding good for them. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that that's one of his special gifts, too. Still, though, Ron, I, I think that you could probably delegate this work if you chose to. But you choose to be in community with Michael and, and the gang that go out. And that, I, that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if I know why. I think it's just. It's just God. I mean, I just feel like it's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And I mm-hmm. think. I think I would know when it's time to quit or when it's time to move on. I think God has me here for a reason. Yeah, we 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 ask ourselves that too. I mean, when is it time to t- to stop? You mentioned you hold each other accountable. How does that work, and in what ways? What's what would be an example? Well. <clears throat> An example you can share with well, the audience. Well, I mean, you can <laughs> I mean, share, right? I think there was a time. I mean, it gets hard on the road. And um, last spring we've been out on the West Coast, and we've been gone for a couple of weeks. And Mike had kind of gotten to a point where he was he was in a bad place, and he was complaining a lot and everything else. And I just, you know, just sitting down with him and saying, hey, you know, this is bothering me. This isn't working yeah. you know, the way it is. Mm-hmm. And having that chance to, and you know, him, him the same way when, you know, I'm things – Busyness and sometimes the days are so hard and so long, and you got so much going on. Just the busyness and the and the things going on around you can can get you wrapped up in the in the things instead of people. It might can pull me back into into yeah. relating to people. Yeah, and, and that that was a, a really special time for me. That the time the first time that he was referring to when he came and said, you know, it's one thing when somebody says, yeah, you're stop complaining. That's one thing. But when it, when a person who knows you well and who and who's going through it with you, because we're you know, you had reason to complain. <laughs> I had a lot of reason to complain, but but Ron would say, he said, you know, that's not like you. Hmm. You know, he said you're starting to sound like some other people that I've worked with who complain all the time. I don't want that to happen to you. Hmm. And you know, you that's love. That's really being loved well and listened to. So, hmm. 
And so I've tried to stop complaining so much. You know, <laughs> in the brief time that I've been on the road with you guys, just a couple of, uh, one weekend basically, I, I've noticed that you've got some younger guys who are kind of looking up to you. I mean, is this a conscious thing that you're doing or mentoring in a in a very proactive sort of way? We, we enjoy that. I mean, we've taken guests out at times for a weekend to help, you know, just to be around us, to learn what a road manager does or to learn what a sound and lighting guy would do. Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy, um, Sam's on the road with us right now and Doug's on the road with us. And um, both of them get a chance to to experience a ministry. And both of them are songwriters. And, you know, I think mm. they eventually would like to be involved in some kind of a yeah. ministry like that. Michael, what's your vision for that? <clears throat> well, I, like Ron said earlier, a lot of it, I think it's just something God does. I mean, I have maybe some sort of a technical idea of mentoring or something like that, but it's not until, you know, a young man comes to you and just says, you know, can I hang out? Can I, you know, can I go for a while? And it's not all about the business, is it? It's, I mean, you talk about life. It's, it's, I think a lot of it is about de-emphasizing the business uh, and putting it in a proper place. I think a lot of it's seeing things happen like we were talking about a minute ago when someone can take someone aside and say, you know, how's your heart? Where's your soul and all this? Uh, yeah, you're, you're functioning. You're doing, you know, you're playing the songs, but you're, you're getting bitter. And I can tell because I'm open to you and I know what's going on in your, you know, your life. And again, the fact is we're, we're sort of slogging through, not that it's all bad on the road. We don't want to give that impression, <laughs> but it is hard. And the older you get, and we're not getting any younger, you know the the staying up all night and driving occasionally and that sort of thing. It's not it's not as easy as it used to be. Well, we caught both of you just coming off the road. Actually, as this program is on the air, you two and others are back on the road even this weekend on Thanksgiving. So, on yeah. Thanksgiving weekend, That's so be tough. I'd like to encourage our listeners to pray for you guys and the and the, the whole team that are out right now, and maybe they have a little better understanding now from our brief conversation here today. Yeah, and and also check out uh, Ron's company has a website that that we'll post on our links hmm. on our website as well. They do sound installations and in churches, and they have a wonderful. I mean, that in itself is a ministry, and they also train. Uh, sound engineers for churches and for the uh, for the places where they install gear and I think I don't know of anybody else that does that so uh, check out uh, that website so Ron thanks man it's good to be here see you see you in a couple of days I guess <laughs> yeah be back and you're listening to in the studio with Michael Card I want to remind you that you can find out more about this program and Michael's ministry by going online our place on the web is found at www.michaelcard.com and if you have a comment about today's conversation, pass that along to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Coming up, we'll get to hear more of Michael's music after these messages on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Welcome back into the studio with Michael Card. This week's program coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee. Michael, we're going to devote most of this second half of the program to the rest of the concert you gave at Cedarville University. We didn't have time for on last week's broadcast. But, you know, radio, I've been in radio for a long time, and I understand that it reaches uh, so many people all at once, but I also understand how personal radio can be. And we have a great illustration of that here today. We speak in terms of mass communications, but I think uh, communication only works when it's to one person, to one heart at a time. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody with a very tender heart has has emailed us, and I wanted to read... Uh, this email, and then uh, have have a time of prayer. Sure. Just to give the background on this, we had a guest on right here from uh, your hometown of Franklin, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Amos, who came right. in and told us about the uh, Mercy Children's Clinic here. Right, uh, which is a clinic for uh, for the poor here in Franklin. And we talked about the vision, and Jerry is a very passionate person, mm-hmm. and, uh, and she shared from her heart about the vision of that clinic. Now, Julie was listening to that mm-hmm. program, and we felt led of God to do that program, and you don't often know why. Mm-hmm. Julie is telling us why. Yeah, so let me let me read from her email. I listened to your program for the first time the other evening. I couldn't believe the compassion I was hearing about the hospital your guest Jay Amos was from. I worked in an emergency room at a trauma center in a, a certain state I won't I won't name until 2 years ago when I was left paralyzed after a surgeon accidentally cut into my spinal cord mm-hmm. during a routine surgery. My life ended that day, I thought. I've just about lost everything I'd worked for, but I'm hanging in there. No one at my hospital showed much interest in my tragic situation, let alone compassion for what I was going through. Mm -hmm. I almost lost my child, 
and my husband is disabled from a traumatic brain injury 17 years ago, and I was his primary caregiver prior to this happening. So Julie is in a, in a horrific situation. Everywhere I turn, no one could or would help me. Even just a simple I'm sorry would have made a difference. I have learned to rely on God. At first I would pray and beg God to make me walk again. I now pray to God to reveal to me what His will is in my life and the power to carry out whatever that will is. I was so touched by Jerry Amos' story and comments about how they treat not only the patient but their soul as well. I was inspired to write to you and share this with you. Every day is a struggle, financially and emotionally, but I know if I will just rely on and listen to God, I'll be okay. Thank you for providing such a wonderful service to people. I was feeling so sad and alone, and your show was very comforting to me that night. Thank you, and God bless. Uh, thank you, Julie, for yeah. letting us know the, the completion of that story. Yeah. Community uh, means that radio can be part of that community solution as well. Certainly. We don't want to pretend that just that listeners are a, a, a genuine community because it's hard for us to, to really walk sure. with each other and know each other. But hopefully uh, with stories like Jerry Amos's, we can, we can extend our community out a little bit and make people hungry for community. And I think that's one thing we need to pray for, mm-hmm. for Julie, that mm-hmm. she'll find the community that she needs. Well, let's pray for her right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for letting us know this part of the story as uh, we put uh, Jerry on on the radio here with us, Lord. And uh, we thank you for Julie. We can't imagine how difficult it has been for her. But when she said that she's relying on you, Lord, that spoke to my heart. That that told me that I need to be doing the same, and I'm sure many people at the same time. So, Lord, bless her for this faith that she has demonstrated by writing to us here today. And, Father, I pray that uh, providentially uh, Julie might even be listening and and praying along with us. But whether she is or not, Lord, we know that you're hearing our prayer for her. Uh, she has needs. Uh, Father, she needs uh, community. She needs some friends uh, to stand with her, to uh, experience uh, her pain in their bodies, uh, the way the book of Hebrews says. And she has financial needs, Father, for uh, hospital bills that have, have uh, gone unpaid. Uh, more needs, Lord, than, than we could understand even from her email. And so we we lay those before you, Father. We take hold of the horns of the altar for Julie and ask, first of all, we ask for miraculous healing. Lord, you have the power to do so uh, if you choose. So we, first of all, pray that she would walk again, that you would give her healing. We pray for healing for uh, her loneliness, though, for um, for the want and for the hunger uh, for a kind word and for an understanding heart. Pray for her husband who is uh, suffering uh, with a disability as well now. And we don't know the details of of her child, but uh, we lift up this little one to you as well. So many needs, Father, uh, so many hurts, and we lay them at your feet, Jesus. And we ask that you would bring glory to yourself through Julie's life. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'd love to hear from other listeners. I'll give the email address at the end of today's program. But for the remainder of our time today, let's return to your concert recently at Cedarville University in Ohio. And uh, we're looking forward to several songs here from you, Michael. Mm -hmm. Starting with this one. By the way, Ken Lewis is accompanying you. Yes. Percussion. Yes. This song is called Violent Grace. seem unanswered and unheard his pleading petitions his loud cries and tears a last reprieve will simply not appear so ruthless he loves us so reckless his embrace to show relentless kindness to a hardened human race the joy that was before him on the man of sorrow's face and by his blood he bought a violent grace most willing of victims and with his final breath destroyed the one who holds the power of death the hate heaped upon him scorning 
shame and all for love he died and overcame so ruthless he loves us so reckless his embrace to show relentless kindness to our heart and human race the joy that was before him on the man of sorrow's face and by his blood he bought a vine of sort of stuck about what I should play. Um, what? El Shaddai. Okay, I know that one. I'm off my list now, so I'm kind of in uncharted territory. El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Why aren't you singing? El Elyonah Adonai Age to age, you're still the same By the power of the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai Erechim Kana Adonai We will praise and lift you high El Shaddai You save the son of Abraham, and by the power of your hand, turn the sea into dry land, and to the outcast on her knees, you were the God who really sees, and by your might, you set your children free. Banjo. I don't know why you still have an ounce of respect left for me. I don't know if I should play the banjo or not. The wonderful thing about playing for the brothers and the sisters is that they like you more when you mess up. It's the secret of my ministry. No, I'm, I'm not a banjo player. 
I, I, was, uh, I grew up in Nashville where you have to, in order to get a driver's license, you have to play one of these things. Uh, and I did grow up playing the banjo and was actually a much better banjo player when I was about 11 than I am now. But uh, Earl Scruggs was one of my father's patients, the banjo player, played Foggy Mountain Breakdown and the uh, Beverly Hillbillies theme. And he, he gave me my first banjo and used to give me banjo lessons, which is very hard for him because he plays this way, the way you're supposed to play. And then he would hold the chords upside down and show me how to play them. And he would do this for hours, which I was always amazed that this very famous Grammy-winning person would hang out with a little snotty-nosed kid like me. Anyway, uh, I stopped playing the banjo when, when I started doing music because it was not cool. In, in the world of Christian music, the banjo was not cool. And I caved, young people, to the peer pressure. So don't you ever do that. People that want to make you change and, you know, tell. When other people tell you what's cool, you should know that's not appropriate. Okay, you decide what's cool. Okay, and the banjo is cool. Um, I rediscovered that the banjo was cool. I rediscovered it was cool when I heard a, a wonderful player named Bela Fleck play. That's his signature uh, on, the, on the front of this. And since he signed it, I, I can actually play much better. Um, so anyway, um, but I'm illustrating a principle here, and the principle is this. You should always work at the level of your own inadequacy in ministry. You should always, if you just do what you're good at doing, I mean, what's that? Anybody can do that. You should always be right on the edge where if the Lord doesn't show up, you will fail miserably. Okay? So I'm going to demonstrate that for you right now. <laughs> In his 
his distressing disguise he hopes that we'll realize that we rob our brothers by all that we own and that's not the way he has shown What happens at that moment is a miracle indeed. As they look to one another in an instant, it is clear only Jesus is visible, for they both disappeared. And he is in the hand that reaches out to give, and he is in the touch that causes us to live. So speak with your life now as well as your tongue and shelter the homeless take care of the young for in his distressing disguise he hopes that we'll realize that when we take care of the poorest of them we've really done it to him for a time for the slaves to be set free for the debts to all be canceled so his chosen ones could see his deep desire was for forgiveness he longed to see their liberty and his yearning was embodied in the year of jubilee this your part jubilee jubilee jesus is the jubilee Debt's forgiven, slaves set free. Jesus is our Jubilee. At the Lord's appointed time, his deep desire became a man. The heart of all true jubilation, and with joy we understand. In his voice we hear a trumpet sound that tells us we are free. He is the incarnation of the year of Jubilee. Go! Jubilee, Jubilee. Jesus is the Jubilee. Debt's forgiven, slaves set free. Jesus is our Jubilee. To be so completely guilty and given over to despair To look into your judge's face and see a savior there Jubilee, Jubilee, come on Jesus is the Jubilee that's forgiven Our Jubilee.
You search and you know me, you know when I sit, you know when I rise, you know what I think, you know where I'm going, nothing, oh Lord, can hide from your eyes. You close me in, behind and before me, you shield me with your mighty hand. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too much for me to understand. Where can I go to flee from your spirit and from your presence? Where can I hide? You hold up in heaven, you're there beside me in the depths of the darkness. You're by my side, and if I rise on the wings of the morning or settle on the far side of the sea. Even there your hand will guide me, for your right hand is holding me. The darkness will hide me, the night will shine as bright as day. So search me, Lord, and lovingly lead me in your everlasting way. Listening to highlights from our recent time at Cedarville University today in the studio with Michael Card. Before we go, I want to remind you to take a moment and send us your comments as well as your questions about the Bible or the Christian life. The email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. This radio program is just one aspect of Michael's ministry, and thanks to the web, you can just click for all the details at www.michaelcard.com. And while you're online, don't forget to check out the complete listing of books, CDs, and Michael's latest DVD project, Scribbling in the Sand. And for those of you who want to stay connected with behind-the-scenes news and special downloads, we have a section called The Community. There's a lot waiting for you, so bookmark the site and visit us often at michaelcard.com. And then join us again next week for more music and challenging conversations centered on God's Word. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.